So I'm, I'm going to skip through the first couple of review slides and go. Uh, let's go to the one that says Esther so far. Uh, we've covered four chapters so far. Here's a quick summary of each chapter. Chapter one, uh, Vashti's defiance spoils King Xerxes' party, so he banishes her from the kingdom. Chapter two, Xerxes is lonely, so he holds this beauty contest tryout thing for all the, the beautiful women in the empire, and he chooses Esther. Uh, chapter three, uh, Esther's cousin Mordecai defies Haman, who's been newly appointed to number two in the, in the kingdom, and Haman's celebration is kind of spoiled by Mordecai's dishonor. So he decides not just to kill Mordecai, but to kill all the Jewish people. And uh, uh, chapter four, Mordecai convinces his cousin Esther that she's the one that has a chance to intercede for the Jewish people and possibly save them. And even though she's risking her life to go to the king unsummoned, she decides to do it. And, and so that's, that's where we are. Uh, the cast of characters you should know by now, you should know Xerxes, he's the king. His Jewish name is Ahasuerus. So if you're reading a King James Bible, that's the same guy. Uh, his Persian name is beyond my ability to pronounce. Xerxes is what the Greeks called him. And we know about him mostly from the history books when he's losing the Greco-Persian Wars to the Greeks. Uh, and so since the Greeks wrote those histories, that, that's why his, Xerxes is the most famous of his names. Vashti's the queen that's gone. Uh, Mordecai is a Jewish man from the tribe of Benjamin who's a minor court official in the Persian court. The fact that he's from the tribe of Benjamin was significant. We learned that in the last couple of weeks. Esther is his orphan cousin who's now the new queen of Persia, and she's, her Jewishness is a secret. Uh, nobody knows except her cousin Mordecai that she's Jewish. And then Haman, the, a descendant of Agag, the Amalekite, and that was significant a week or so ago, is the number two man in all of Persia. And he's like a little proto-Hitler. He's, uh, he's, he, he's determined to wipe out all the Jews. The threat to the Jewish people we see in Esther chapter 3 verses, uh, let's just read verse 6. Instead of, uh, um, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. And then last week, we saw this conversation between Mordecai and Esther through an intermediary. And Mordecai expresses great faith in uh, chapter 4, verse 14. He says, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise. He's confident that'll happen. But then he challenges Esther to consider, maybe it's through you. Maybe this is God's purpose, that you're here for such a time as this. And that's really what prompted the homework assignment. You know, what situation are you in that maybe it's not what you've chosen, maybe you don't like it, but in hindsight or maybe even in present sight, if you've got more faith than most of us, you can see that God put me here for such a time as this. And then Esther's great uh, uh, statement of courage in verse 16, she says, all right, I'm going to do this thing. Let's fast first. And if I perish, I perish. So we can skip the next couple of slides. The scene is set. And I wonder if Esther remembered this. You know, she's getting ready to go in and visit the king. And she's going to risk her life to do it because if, if he doesn't show her mercy, it's a, a, a death penalty crime to go into the king without being bidden. And I wonder if she knew this verse from Proverbs. Uh, Solomon lived about 500 years before Esther. And in Proverbs 21.1, he wrote, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a water course wherever he pleases. And so that's, that gets us up to the story. Esther 5, verse 1 says this. On the third day, third day of what? The third day of the fast, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. 
The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. So now the pressure's off. You know, we can all breathe a sigh of relief. She's not going to be executed for her presumption. She sh uh, the king shows her mercy. In fact, he's pleased to see her, it says, which, which was somewhat of a surprise to Esther because she hadn't seen him in 30 days. She thought maybe he forgot about her, didn't like her anymore, or moved on to another part of his harem, which would have been very acceptable for the Persian king to do. But uh, he's pleased to see her, and so now she has an opportunity to speak to him. Verse 3, then the king asked, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be given you. Do you recognize that phrase? Right, that's why we read that awful story. Uh, was it worth reading that horrible story about John the Baptist just to hear that phrase? That's why we did it. I mean, that, that, it was to me. Um, I have a, a kind of a lame story. It's kind of parenthetical. I'll, I think I'll, I'll presume to tell. Um, Gina came in on me... Uh, a couple years ago, and I was watching a movie on American movie classics, and she's like, this is kind of an old movie in a Western. What's, what's with that? And I said, wait a second, the line is coming up. And it was Treasure of, Sierra, Treasure of the Sierra Madre. I don't know if any of you have ever seen this, but there's this scene where the banditos are trying to pose like law enforcement officers, and they're trying to get over on the miners, and the miners say, I don't think you're real officials, and uh, I, I don't see any badges. And the bandito says, yeah, I bet you know. Badges? We don't need those stinking badges. And uh, it's one of, I'd heard about this line for years, but never had actually seen it in a movie. And when I heard it was coming on, I said, yeah, I want to see that. And so, and, and Gina looks at me after I explained to her, she says, you watch this whole movie just so you could see the guy say that one line? And yeah, yeah that's, that's why. Uh, and so, anyway, we read the John the Baptist story so we could see that anything you want up to half my kingdom is not a literal promise. It's a cliche, it's a turn of a phrase among Eastern royalty, and it's just his way of saying, I wanna be generous. I'm, I'm, I wanna be generous with you, tell me what you want so I can give it to you. Uh, so here's Esther's reply. If it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king together with Haman come today to a banquet I have prepared for him. This is a, one of the first things we can learn from Esther. She was very careful with her timing. Uh, she let suspense build, and instead of, I mean, it would have been so tempting to me in this situation to say, you know, your guy's trying to kill all of my people, you know, help us out, we need your help, but instead of blurting out her concern, she kind of, kind of um, sets the stage. I think feeding him, perhaps, helps to, to prepare him for listening to her, and, and she sort of builds some suspense. So... All I want is for you to come to lunch and bring Haman. Verse 5, king responds, bring Haman at once, the king said, so that we may do what Esther asks. So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared. As they were drinking wine, the king again asked Esther, now what is your petition? It will be given to you, and what is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Once again, that same phrase. Verse 7, Esther replied, my petition is this, if the king regards me with favor... And if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet I will prepare for them. Then I will answer the king's question. Now, this reminds me of an old joke. It's not that funny, but uh, when I hear, when I see this, it reminds me, I remember this joke. Do you know how to keep a moron in suspense? I'll tell you tomorrow. Uh, that's, that's, that's the joke. And so uh, uh, 
that seems like that's what uh, Esther's doing to the king, right? Come to lunch, and I'll tell you what I want. Well, what I want is for you to come to lunch tomorrow, and then I'll tell you what I want. And so the suspense is building. You know, the stage is set. I mean, as a storyteller, Esther, pieces, Esther is a masterpiece of literature. It builds suspense for us, but a lot's going to happen in that day. And, and we're going to see that tomorrow, when we get to chapter 6, is going to be a big day in the story of Esther. But there's still a lot to happen here in chapter 5. Verse 9, Haman went out that day happy and in high spirits. But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence, he was filled with rage against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. One of the literary devices the author of Esther uses is pairs. We see things happening in pairs. Um, notice how quickly Mordecai went from high spirits to filled with rage. Does that remind you of anything? In chapter 1, we saw the same thing. Xerxes was merry with wine, but when Vashti turned down his invitation to come parade before his drinking buddies, his heart turned bitter with fury. We find this very quick transition from high spirits to rage, both in chapter 1 and here again in chapter 5. Verse, um, well, I, I titled the message, Wisdom Meets Foolishness, because as we see Haman's behavior, uh, several of the things he does remind me of uh, verses from Proverbs. So we're going to look back to Proverbs and see what wisdom has to say about it. Proverbs, Proverbs 14, 17 says, A quick-tempered man does foolish things, and a crafty man is hated. Back to Esther. Verse 10, Calling together his friends and Zeresh, his wife, Haman boasted to them about his vast wealth, his many sons, and all the ways the king had honored him and how he had elevated him above the other nobles and officials. According to the Greek historian Herodotus, the Persians had two things they really valued higher than anything else. Number one was valor in battle, and number two, sons. They really admired a guy who had lots of sons. We know from other uh, verses in the Bible that Haman had ten sons, so he was highly favored according to Persian tradition. Proverbs 13, 16 says, Every prudent man acts out of knowledge, but a fool exposes his folly. Now we're back to Esther now, verse 12. So Haman's boasting about all the good stuff, his sons and his position, and then he tells about the banquet. That's not all Haman added. I'm the only person Queen Esther invited to accompany the king to the banquet she gave. And she's invited me along with the king tomorrow, but all this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew Mordecai sitting at the king's gate. So we see Haman highly honored by the king and evidently by the Queen Esther, but not by this minor official Mordecai, and that's what he focuses on. This reminds me of a couple stories from my teaching career. Um, when I first started teaching at Covenant about six years ago, we used to do teacher evaluations a different way. About, along about Christmas time, we would put in the hands of our students a, a form evaluation where students would kind of circle things and then write comments at the end. And I can remember this one particular class where there was a student who wrote the comment at the end, he really doesn't teach us much. I feel like I have to learn it all on my own. And uh, I can remember being pretty stung by that. I mean, when you tell a teacher you're not really teaching me, that, that, that's, a, that's a pretty low review, right? Um, and yet, in hindsight, or when I looked at it objectively, one of our, uh, our jobs was to synthesize all the different evaluations and pass it on to our principal with recommendations for our own improvement, how we're going to do better, how, what we're going to keep doing this the same. And, and you know, I think there are about 20, 25 kids in that class. The other 20 or so were not just generally favorable, but really nice reviews, you know, 
keep up the good work, that kind of stuff. But, but I can only tell you in general what they were, because I can't quote from any of those. They were just, you know, generally favorable. The one I can quote from is the one that hurt, the one that's, that, that, that stung. And, and I found that we're often that way, that if, if 20 people tell you today, you know, your hair looks really nice, and the 21st person says, what's with the hair? Um, what are you going to be thinking about when you go home and look in the mirror? It's not that, oh, 20 people like my new dress or like my new hairdo. It's going to be the one hurtful comment that's going to sting. And so we're all like, we're all like that a little bit, the way Haman was. And uh, I, I remember something else that happened. This was a, kind of a, just a personal transition for me. I've, I've been a teacher, a high school teacher, like 20 years. And about 10 years ago, I found I was going home after, after work and focused way too much on the one kid who pushed my buttons. And he's had a bunch of different names, or she. Um, but, uh, you know, it's quite common to have a, a student in a class who's just like, you know, what's with that guy? Um, and I felt like as I was praying about this, I felt like the Lord communicated to me, not in an audible voice, but in a very clear impression you know, aren't there more people in that class? And, and I felt like the message that God was giving me was that I was throwing my joy away by focusing on one negative circumstance rather than giving praise and thanks for 19, 20, 22 cooperative, eager um, students who made teaching a joy. And why was it that I was focused on this one instead of those 19? That was human nature, I think. But it's not Holy Spirit nature. And so I, I, I had a choice, and I felt like God, God showed me that choice. Let's look at more Proverbs. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And Proverbs 29, 23 says, A man's pride brings him low, but a man of lowly spirit gains honor. Now the last verse of chapter 5 is verse 14. And see if this rings a bell for you. His wife, Zeresh, this is Haman's wife, who hears about how disappointed he is because Mordecai won't honor him. His wife, Zeresh, and all his friends said to him, Have a gallows built, 75 feet high, and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai hanged on it. Then go, to the king to, then go with the king to the dinner and be happy. This suggestion delighted Haman, and he had the gallows built. Well, he'll go to the dinner tomorrow, but he won't be happy. Uh, that's, what, that's chapter 6, and we'll learn about that. This, this shows us another recurring theme of Esther. Uh, the theme I would call questionable advice. Uh, haven't you seen uh, already in the first four chapters over and over again, King Xerxes get a, gets advice from his advisors. Uh, why don't you, you better get rid of that queen. Uh, why don't you have this beauty contest and get a new one? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? It's, it seems kind of questionable advice, but he's pretty gullible about going for it. Now here Haman gets some pretty questionable advice. By the way, Mordecai was not a tall man. 75 feet gallows, that's absurdly high. I mean, that's comically high. I mean, what's the deal with, the, with, making, with making this huge gallows? And, and you've, some of you have read to the end, it's just going to add to Haman's shame at the end to have this absurdly high gallows built. But questionable advice that's eagerly followed by the gullible listener. And Haman, oh, good plan. I'm going to do that. So you see this happening a couple times with Xerxes, and now you see it happen with Haman. These the uh, scholastic aptitude test is kind of an entrance exam for colleges. They changed it a few years ago where they don't do analogies, but if you're, a, if you're not a kid, you might remember 
taking it back when they did analogies, the dreaded analogies for many of us. But uh, here's a little analogy test for you. If Haman's like a little Hitler, his wife Zeresh reminds us of whom? I'll give you a hint. It's somebody from the Bible. Can you think of a lady whose husband didn't get the honor he deserved, and so now somebody's got to die? It's the Old Testament story we read at the beginning of the service. She reminds me of Jezebel. And that's why we read that awful story. What a, what a, what a downer of a story to start your church service with. Um, Naboth wants to keep his vineyard, and so now the queen decides he's got to die. Um, and, and this, to me, is a similar story. Mordecai won't show enough honor to Haman, and so now Zeresh, Haman's wife, says, well, I, got, I know how to solve the problem. Kill him. Uh, these bloodthirsty royals are, uh, uh, seem to be a, uh, fairly common in, in the ancient Near East. So what about us? What about you and me? What does this have to do 2,500 years later with, with our lives? First of all, I think you can trust God to guide you where he's called you. Um, just like Esther saw, she was the one that was in position to, to intercede for her people. And even though it was risky, God guided her, God protected her. Esther teaches us that timing is important. I would have blurted out my request right as soon as I got the king's ear. But Esther sets him up a couple times. And then next, tomorrow, chapter 6, it'll be next Sunday for us, we're going to see that he's very ready to hear her. And then uh, the two things we can learn from Haman's life. Self-focus blurs your vision. If I'm focused on me and I see the world through sort of curt-colored glasses, uh, I'm not going to have an accurate picture of the world. I'm not going to have an accurate picture of you. I'm not going to have an accurate picture of me. Uh, and resentment will steal your joy. It steals Haman's joy, and again, it causes him to lose his focus it, in a couple different ways. He doesn't see the true honor he receives from Xerxes, and that honor's not enough. He doesn't see the threat that's coming from Esther. And because of his resentment of Mordecai, he makes this very questionable decision to try to wipe out all the Jews, and ultimately that's going to lead to his downfall, right? Because he puts himself in the position of being an enemy of God. And that's not going to work out well for him. Uh, I, know, I know many of you have heard this story for years or you've seen one movie or the other, but uh, you know, we're going to go through it step by step and see what principles we can gain for ourselves. And we're, we're about to the, the climactic events of the story in the next couple chapters. And so uh, um, let's, uh, let's try to learn the application each week for our lives, and then we'll get to the exciting conclusion here at the end. Uh, let's pray. God, I just thank you for, uh, uh, for this story. Lord, I thank you for, uh, for giving us such a masterpiece of literature with uh, humor and irony and drama and suspense. Um, but Lord, I thank you also for the, uh, for the spiritual applications, for the practical applications to our own lives. Lord, help us to be uh, as brave as Esther. Uh, help us to be um, not as foolish as Haman, not as self-absorbed and bitter. Lord, help us to be your people um, who will make, people, make others curious about you because of the way you've, re you've responded to us, the way you've blessed our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.